This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, I speak with Sabanfu Some. Sabanfu is an author, teacher, and leading authority on African women's spirituality in the West. Originally born into the Dagara tribe of Burkina Faso in West Africa, Sabanfu is the founder of Ancestors Wisdom Spring, an organization dedicated to the preservation and dissemination of indigenous wisdom. She has written the books the spirit of intimacy, welcoming spirit home, and falling out of grace. With Sounds True, Sabanfo has released a six-session audio learning program called Women's Wisdom from the Heart of Africa. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Sabanfu and I spoke about rituals that are essential for our health and happiness, how different locations have guardians, or what Sabanfu calls spirits of the land. Sabanfu also spoke of the tendency in Western culture for people to assume that they're not capable of invoking spirit directly. And after dispelling this notion, she offered tips on how we can invoke spirits and connect directly with our ancestors. Finally, we spoke about the importance of exploring our wounds as potential gifts. And Sabanfu shared some of the lessons and the gifts she received from her divorce from African spiritual teacher, Maladoma Some. Here's my very honest and helpful conversation with Sabanfu Some. Sabanfu, your name literally means keeper of the rituals. And I'm curious how you feel about that. That's a pretty big job to have, keeper of the rituals. Do you ever feel burdened by that? Oh, burdened? Yes, always. I feel always like I have uh, so much on my shoulders. Uh, there seems to be no place that I can run to to even hide at times. Um, so um, I often joke about it when someone uh, asks me, so what does your name mean? I sometimes say, well, you know, um, there are days I think it's a keeper of trouble, and days I think it's a bringer of trouble, <laughs> um, because um, uh, it is a responsibility that uh, you really um, have to be constantly um, aware of and also be on at all the time. So if uh, even if when you're sleeping, someone calls you in crisis, you have to work with them. So, yeah, yeah, it is a very uh, heavy name, and at the same time, I also uh, enjoy seeing the transformation that comes out of it, you know, when the work is done with the people or when a new ritual arises. Um, that's pretty exciting. Now, of course, we could have a ritual for almost anything we do in our life. What do you think are the rituals that are the most important, the most essential, that there's no way someone could really have, in your view, let's say, a full and complete life without these rituals in their life? Well, what comes to uh, my mind at the top is um, a welcoming ritual. Um, why a welcoming ritual? Because we all deserve to be welcome. We all deserve to feel that we have arrived wherever we are, whether it be in a new place, whether it be in a uh, in a new place in our life, whether it be um, just um, because uh, we have taken steps to make some uh, changes in our life. But you know, the welcoming ritual helps us to put an end to something that was happening in the past or to help incorporate our life with the old so that there is a smoothness to it. And I personally believe that a lot of uh, people uh, feel homeless, feel not together, feel not um, uh, like they belong simply because um, 
they, they don't feel welcome or they have never been welcome in their lives. And so they are still out searching for bits and pieces of themselves uh, that they're not able to find despite all the spiritual work that they do for the simple reason that, you know, there isn't a community to really welcome them. Let's say I move to a new apartment or a new home or I move to a new city. What would be the welcoming ritual? What would you suggest? Well, the welcoming ritual would be uh, that, um, um, first of all, um, you will be introducing yourself to the spirit of the place you are moving into, whether it be the spirit of your apartment, the spirit of the land, the spirit of the uh, um, uh, people who live there, but um, an introduction that is to open the door for you to be welcomed by them. You know, just like when you move into a neighborhood, you know, you do want to introduce yourself so that those people can know who you are, so they feel safe, so they can extend a welcoming arm to you. The same way you need to um, be able to introduce yourself to the spirit of the land and uh, all the uh, being around so that they can uh, open their arms to receive you and uh, whatever uh, vision uh, that uh, you might be uh, holding at that moment. And um, to be able to have people who would come to your home to help, you know, um, clear uh, the space. Uh, Because, um, uh, you know, when you live in an apartment, you know, there are a lot of people who have lived there, and we don't always know the kind of intention that they have held. And so we want to clear the space and reactivate uh, the space with our purpose, with our vision in mind so that we uh, can begin to live in our own energy and not be uh, living in somebody else's energy. And a welcoming um, and because uh, we need to be welcomed by people so we can feel that we have arrived, you know, in our home, in our apartment, you know, where we can um, begin to be ourselves so we stop pretending to be somebody else for everybody else. And so um, a good circle of people being able to uh, stand there and to welcome who we are and welcome what uh, our intentions are and to celebrate that, you know, drum that, sing that. Um, and, of course, with celebration, you know, we know that there has to be, of course, food there um, so that we can feed the spirit and feed ourselves as well. So those are some of the uh, rituals that uh, can be very important in uh, turning someone's life around or in helping uh, shape their better, uh, their future better um, because um, they are creating something that is in alignment with who they are, with the spirit of the place, and so on and so on. It's this idea, I think, of the spirit of the place and the spirit of the land that I find most intriguing. And, you know, people have housewarming parties all the time, gather a bunch of friends over, bring a bunch of food, people bring gifts. I think that that sort of fits the Western idea of we want to welcome you to the neighborhood, to our new town, and decorate your house. But the idea that there's a dimension to the ritual that needs to include the spirit of the structure, whether that's an apartment or a home, and then the spirit of the land. I think that's where people might have a question in their mind. You know, is that uh, superstitious? Are there really spirits of a place, spirits of the land? Oh, (laughs) Um, it's not superstition. Um, It is uh, a real thing. And I'm sure uh, those people who will be listening to this, you definitely can uh, agree with me. There are places where you go, you absolutely feel that you sit, and there are places that you go that, you know, on the bare land, you, it's, it feels like this is not where I'm supposed to be. And you know that the spirit of the land is definitely sending a loud and strong message to you saying, whoa, 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 you know, what energy are you bringing here? Or who are you to be walking into my land? You know, did you tell me you were coming? Um, and so the spirit of the land is as real as you and I because it is an entity that is the guardian of the place. 
And so we need to work with that entity um, because we are not, you know, you can buy the place. You can own the place. But still, if the spirit of the land does not welcome you, you are not going to feel at home in that beautiful home that you have just purchased. And so it's easier for us to work to create an energy of alignment with the spirit of the place so that we can begin to um, bring our dreams alive. Um, and, and that is one of the reasons why there are some places that are very conducive, for instance, to having relationships. And there are some places that are not conducive to having relationships. And, you know, you can have the perfect relationship and you move to this one place and you realize that every place, every um, person in that place is single. There is a reason for it. The spirit of the place is not amenable uh, or is not conducive to relationships. And so you need to be aware of the kind of spirit that you are walking into or that you are living with so you can know, you know, uh, how to best uh, formulate your intention or how to be, um, uh, articulate um, your intention so that at least, you know, there is a harmony between who you are and uh, what the spirit of a place holds, and so on. So it's not a joke. It is real. It is as real as you and I. So Bonfo, I'm curious in your own experience, to make this really real for me, how you've encountered a spirit of a place, how it appeared to you, the kinds of conversations or interactions you might have had. Well, um, I can tell you from uh, all the years of traveling, you know, around Africa, Europe, America, and Asia, that um, the spirit of the uh, place feels very different from one place to the other. Uh, there may be places where there, is, uh, there are similarities, um, where you can, you know, feel uh, a similar energy or vibration by being in a particular place. But I can definitely tell you, you know, from having lived in Oakland to living right here in Sacramento, this spirit is absolutely different it's like day and night and there's and 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 there's no question about it and people who live in the bay area and they come to sacramento they say oh this is different um and and so that's the kind of awareness that you know um i'm asking people to have you know when they walk into a place it's not just because um, it's a place you can just do whatever you want, but that, you know, take time to tune into the spirit of the place to see what is it saying, what does it hold, and uh, is that the kind of energies that you want to be a part of, or is it the kind of energies that you want to be respectful of, or that you want to remove yourself from it, and so on. So, and so uh, those kind of things can be very subtle, and, uh, of course, uh, in the fast uh, cultures that we live in, uh, in today's world, um, you can completely misread the energy because you are so busy, you know, what you're going to be doing tomorrow, 10 years from now, that you're not even paying attention to what is before you, you know, until, you know, you are uh, knees deep and then you go, wow, you know, what is going on here? And so... So um, so there, there is uniqueness um, in different places um, because, um, and that is also because um, um, the vibration is different and we can notice it in the stones, in the trees, in the kind of animals that reside in those places, um, in the subtleties, in the way we feel when we get to a particular kind of place. So those things are very important uh, for us to take time to um, to feel and to um, see what we can do or work with. You know, Sabanfu, there's so much I want to talk with you about, and we've only even started talking about the first kind of ritual, a welcoming ritual. But I still have one more question yet about this idea of a spirit of a place, and I think it's because I'm so intrigued by that quality of aliveness, the vibration of different places. And my question is, why do you call it a spirit? Meaning you could just say different places feel differently and and you have a different sense because of the landscape, because of the climate. But why a spirit of a place? 
Why a spirit? Because it is an entity. It is a living uh, thing. It is something that is alive. And uh, the spirit is uh, an energy. It is a vibration. Um, it is uh, basically um, something that um, um, interacts with us. Um, whether we are open to it or not, um, it is definitely in communication uh, with us. And that is what spirit does. Spirit is alive and communicates with us and work with us and uh, guide us. Um, the same with the spirit of a place. Um, it is there um, to uh, do its work, to be the guardian of the place and to also work with the people who come to it or who live there so that um, there can be um, some mutual um, work um, and sometimes multidimensional work uh, for the simple reason that um, um, the spirit of uh, the place might, you know, connect us to something else that is not of this world and so on. And so that is why I talk about the spirit of the place because it is an energy that we need to uh, learn to be respectful of and not take it for granted. Um, it's not because a land is sitting there that it is free. Uh, no, that land has a guardian, and that guardian is the spirit of the land. Mm-hmm. Very clear. Now, when you talk about welcoming rituals, we've been talking about what it's like when you move from one place to another. But what about being welcomed into the world, the ritual for the birth of a new baby? You mentioned to me that you're doing work right now with midwives and rituals. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yes. Um, I um, I always love uh, birth and that uh, children, and so that subject is always uh, exciting to me for the simple reason that... Um, um, the first initiation that we all really go through is that of being born. Um, no one comes into this world without being born, and we all have to come through that gateway. And so it is a very important step in our life in a sense that um, it can uh, set a particular tone as to what is going to unfold in our life. And so welcoming uh, the newborn um, is one of the top, top um, um, gifts that we can really give to someone um, for the simple reason that um, um, a simple welcome can transform the life of another, uh, somebody else by 180 degrees. Uh, by the same token, we can also change the life of someone by not welcoming them. And a lot of us, um, because we um, were not uh, welcome from before we were even born, because some of us were never really accepted before we, uh, um, we were born. So while we were in our mother's womb, um, we already were experiencing conflict for the simple reason that our parents did not want us. Um, so we are the uh, mistake, um, as we call uh, some of us, that we are mistakes um, or that you were unplanned. And so as a result, you know, we carry that energy of being a mistake uh, from the get-go without even knowing why we feel awkward, why we never fit, why we never really feel like we belong for the simple reason that, you know, that energy was present. So we were never welcome into our mother's womb, um, um, so in a short. And so when you compound to that the fact that you arrived after this long and difficult journey, you finally arrive at your destination. You know, it's just like when you were going, you know, someplace foreign and people said, when you get there, we'll be there to welcome you. So when you do get there, you do expect people to show up and to at least give you a big, warm welcome to say, welcome, so you feel like you have arrived. But after this long and challenging journey, you get there and it's silence that welcomes you. Um, a lot of us go automatically into defense mechanism. You know, we go on survival for the simple reason we realize it's not safe. And so a lot of time, our feeling of not being safe can come from that. 
and it may not be because there is some kind of um you know foreign or um unwelcoming energy around basically trying to harm us, but it is really because the welcoming is missing. And we are looking for it. We search for it, you know, in our friends as we go grow up. We search for it in our um, family members. And then we search for it in our partners. And that's one of the reasons why we go from partner to partner because we're looking for that someone who is going to notice that we have not been welcome and to be open, uh, able to open those arms. You know, like the huge wing of a bird, you know, embracing, you know, those um, uh, baby birds um, to, to take us in, you know, because welcoming is about that. It's about taking someone in. It's about allowing them to rest in you. It's about allowing them to have a place in your heart, in your spirit, and in your soul. And when you can have that, you know, however unfriendly the world can be around you, but you still feel at home because there is a place where you can rest. There is a place where you can go, ah, you can arrive. Now, Sabanfu, let's say somebody's listening to this. I can certainly relate to this. And they feel they weren't welcomed in the world at the moment of their birth. Is there a ritual that could be done to help heal that? What would you suggest? Um, well, a couple of rituals come to mind. Um, you know, the first, of course, is a straight welcoming ritual organized by friends and families um, or just friends if family is unwilling. Um, but um, there is there need to be a surprise element to it. Um, um, that your friend would basically organize this, and this is a way of them not only honoring you, but also helping you to arrive. Um, so um, someone will have to uh, basically create it and um, um, with the rest of the uh, community so that they can bring you in to welcome you. Um, the other thing that uh, I also think about, which I have often done um, uh, in some of my program, is also a rebirthing ritual. Um, the purpose of the rebirthing ritual is to enable us to um, first release some of the things in, the, in our initial birthing pattern that are holding us back from being able to be who we are or achieving our purpose. And the, um, uh, the other thing about the rebirthing ritual is to uh, enable us to renegotiate some of our relationships. Uh, so that, for instance, uh, if you were born to parents who have not been much of a parent to you and that you have to be the parent for them, um, sometimes you need to renegotiate that relationship. Um, and so that may mean that um, uh, you need to choose a different way of relating, you know, to your family and, and or to the world. Um, and that means that... Um, um, you you do some renegotiation, you know, before the uh, rebirth. So by that, I mean uh, cutting some cords that have not been functional or that have been a source of drain uh, in your life, uh, for instance, um, and, um, and and refining new healthy uh, ties that you can have in your life. Um, and so uh, as part of the rebirth ritual, so there's going to be uh, some letting go, some releasing that needs to happen of patterns and uh, thought and um, behaviors uh, that have not been supportive of who you are and your mission in life. Um, and then uh, a reflection on what are some of the things that you see that you can um, uh, bring with you, some of the gifts that you know are there but have been hindered because of um, some of the experiences you have had. Um, and literally, you would go through something that's um, like a birth canal. Um, uh, so we create like a, a birth canal simulated by uh, people uh, where the person has to go through the birth canal again 
Um, and it does, I have to say, uh, this is a disclaimer, uh, it does um, trigger people's memories of their own birth uh, when um, they were first coming here. So it's not just uh, something, oh, you're just going to go through this and then it's going to finish. No, it will bring back some memories that, you know, you may need to take time to deal with before you uh, come back through and so on. And, of course, to have a big welcoming, you know, community at the end, someone cheering you up as you come in, you know, having compassion with you, you know, as you break down because, you know, some memories came to you. But, you know, someone who can act like the big mama welcoming person in your life, you know, continuously cheering you up and uh, helping you on your journey and uh, to be able to come into um, loving hands who are ready to welcome you uh, at the end of the process. Thank you. You know, Sabanfo, I know we could talk about many different kinds of rituals, and, and there are several that I'd like to talk with you about, but I want to make sure that we right here towards the beginning of our conversation talk about one of the central themes of a ritual, which is this invocation of forces that are beyond the human realm, whether we want to call them ancestors or the unseen world. And if you can talk about that element in ritual and how you see it. Invocation is is basically like the uh, element in the rituals that sets the tone. Um, a good invocation uh, has the capacity to um, um, bring people together. It has the capacity to give us a clear idea as to what it is we're getting ourselves involved with. So even if someone was not there when the ritual was being planned or prepared, that a good invocation uh, is like... Um, you know, the opener of the door and uh, the ones that remove the shades and, you know, um, uh, the um, uh, cloud out of the room so that everything is clear, so there is visibility and so on. And so invocation is very important. It is um, uh, a way of, for us to open the doors for spirit to come in and at the same time it is also a way to delineate the ritual space, um, because a good uh, invocation is going to let the kind of spirit know who can show up and who cannot show up. So when your invocation is not strong, you know, it leaves too many room for anyone, anything to come in. So that's why an invocation should come from the heart, and it should also be specific about the kind of ritual that we are doing. So if we are doing a ritual, you know, about uh, welcoming, you know, it cannot be, uh, your invocation cannot be focused on a ritual, you know, about saying goodbye. Um, that, that, that defeats the purpose of the ritual. Now, Sabanfu, when you say, you know, being clear about who's invited and who's not invited, what do you mean, like, who might show up who's quote-unquote not invited? Like, what does that mean? Well, let's say that um, when you are doing an invocation and that you are not really clear about what it is you are invoking or you are not clear about the purpose of the ritual. Um, basically, if you are not clear, that unclarity also leaves all kind of room um, for any kind of spirit to come in. So let's say, um, I actually have a perfect example, something that happened you know, at a conference several years ago. Um, we were in the Redwood um, in Mendocino, California. And um, um, when uh, people were asked to do uh, invocation out loud, and there is a reason for it um, to be done out loud, so everybody hears what is being called in or who is being called in, um, so that we know exactly uh, what to do. Um, so if you're calling an energy that is not really positive, we need to know that um, that what we're calling so we can correct and say, no, that's not what we are wanting. You know, this is what our intention is. So we really need people to focus on bringing that kind of energy. And so um, someone silently called the spirit of the uh, tick, 
because we were in Tickland, of course, um, they thought it was uh, very important that, um, you know, they called in the spirit of the tick. But then we realized, you know, for the first few days, people were very paranoid about ticks. And so even though we may be sitting inside, people will be jumping up and down, screaming about ticks. And finally, we stopped and said, did somebody call in the spirit of a tick? And somebody stood up and said, oh, yeah. I thought because we were in, um, uh, in the woodland, it would be important to call in the spirit of a tick. I said, well, the spirit of a tick is very important in this environment. However, for what we are here to do, it's not a very helpful force. So we really kindly ask the spirit we take to kindly wait outside where it won't be interrupt, uh, interrupting our process here. And and, and it, it's something simple like this, but it can have a big impact. So, um, uh, so that's why I was saying being specific, you know, uh, about uh, who we call in. Um, so if we are creating a, uh, a ritual for peace, you know, we may not want to call in the spirit of a uh, uh, civil war because of the energy it's going to bring. It's not going to be peaceful. Uh, it is the spirit of a war, so it's going to come with all its paraphernalia to play out too. So, um, so when we call in spirit, um, who do we go to? Uh, is important. Do I have an ancestor who is strong that I can call onto and let them know what it is we are wanting to do? Do I have um, a spirit of an element that I can call into to come and to bring its vibration to support the ritual? But everything, again, is is geared to uh, uh, bringing element and being who are going to support the ritual we are going to do. So um, so the um, purpose of the ritual dictates the invocation and all the things that will happen. So in that sense, um, the purpose of the um, ritual is like your um, your theme, uh, your, uh, your uh, thesis. So if you have a theme, you know, on um, creating um, uh, what um, rain, you know, your introduction has to have something around that. So you cannot have uh, the theme and then go write something else. So your introduction is your invocation, and that's why it needs to be clear. A good introduction in a thesis helps you know exactly what this is going to be about. So that's basically what I'm saying. It's not any different. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that's clear. I think part of my question is I'd like to know from your perspective what, who, what kinds of spirits, what kinds of entities, what dimensions of experience are populating our world. So when you're in a room and you're doing an invocation and you're about to lead a ritual, what kinds of beings, spirits, entities, ancestors can you call on? How do you know they're there? What's your experience with that? Well, first of all, um, I start with being that I am familiar with. I start with being that I have worked with or I feel very uh, close to. So that, for instance, when I call my ancestors, you know, there's are people for the most part, um, well, some of them I know, some of them I don't know. But I know at least that when I call them, I know that no doubt they're going to show up. And when I tell them exactly what I'm getting myself involved, their role is to help me achieve that particular uh, goal. Um, or sometimes I may call the spirit of a place. Um, I love, for instance, water. Um, and I know that the spirit of water helped me have clarity. Um, and so when I call uh, to the spirit of the water, so I'll be asking for the spirit of the water to bring me the clarity that I need and everyone around here needs as well. Um, I'm not going to go out and call, you know, the spirit of something I don't know. 
because I, I don't know how they make me feel. I don't know how they move me. I don't know how uh, they're going to interact with me. But I know specifically that these energies that I feel close to, that I know how they have impacted my life and how they have moved things in my life. You know, I will start with those elements first. It's very basic. You know, I'm not asking for someone to go and call in an alien that they have never met before. Um, that's be, uh, beside the point because uh, I don't know them myself, so <laughs> I'm not going to ask them to uh, call something that neither one of us know. But I want them to start with some place where they feel familiar. So we all have spirit guide. We all have ancestors, known, unknown, um, from um, the uh, immediate pool of ancestors or from the larger pool of ancestors. The immediate pool of ancestors are our direct family um, members, our grandparent or great-grandparent. Um, and the pool of ancestors would be the trees, the rocks, the uh, birds, um, all those uh, amazing leaders um, whom we uh, have loved, um, you know, like Gandhi and, you know, um, Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman. So those uh, are part of the pool of ancestors. They may not be our immediate ancestors, but they're part of the pool of ancestors that we can all work with. Um, and so those are the kind of spirit I'm asking them to uh, bring forward. So if you are very close to the spirit of the hawk, you know, that the spirit, you know, that will be your entering point to the, all, all the different spirits that surround us so that when you send your intention, the spirit of the hawk is going to say, turn to all the other spirits and say, look, this is uh, what the intention of this person is. So whoever is able to support this particular intention, then show up and help me. So uh, that's basically how it works uh, in the spirit realm. So, um, so the seen realm can work with the unseen realm to make things happen, you know, for all of us. Um, now, as to the question, do you, uh, um, how do you know that will work? They always uh, work if you really give them room to work. Um, I once, I've had people in the past say, well, I don't really believe it. And if I say, hey, if uh, this is really real, then I want this to happen. And, and of course, when things start to happen, people start to go, whoa, I didn't think it would happen that fast. Well, the, a clear and good, strong um, invocation is um, what can make things happen. You know, it's not just uh, by being unclear. And I think uh, the challenge that most of us have is that people tend to be unclear about what it is, you know, they're A, invoking, uh, or what they want to achieve altogether. Um, so that's what I call a self-defeat uh, 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 prayer because it's basically, you know, kind of like running around in a, a pool of mud and not going anywhere because you haven't really set your intention uh, clear. I'm curious, Simanfu, here having yes. been raised in the Dagara tribe in Burkina Faso, where what you're describing, I, I presume, was just accepted by everybody. We have ancestors, we can work with our ancestors, we can communicate with them. You know, elements have spirits, places have spirit. And here you've been in the West, you've been in the United States for 20 years, where this idea is not commonly accepted. Of course, there's openness in people. Do you feel in our culture, living here in the West, the gap, the hole, what we're missing, because most people don't? have communication with spirits as part of their everyday life? Well, I think the challenge is actually because people have not been in power um, to deal with spirit directly. Um, when I work with people, you know, we often run into this uh, crisis where people don't feel like they're uh, adequate or they're suitable um, for calling in a spirit because, you know, um, they have gone to church and it's usually the preacher, uh, the priest who usually, you know, calls in spirit forward. And so people feel kind of clumsy 
you know, when you ask them to call in a spirit ally, they say, really? Can I really do that? Uh, and, 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 you know, should I be afraid? You know, am I going to be hit by light, lightning or something? Um, but what I have actually realized is that people actually are very close to spirit. It's just that, you know, they feel divorced at the same time with spirit because, you know, they've been told, you know, no, 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 you don't have the right to call in this force, and, you know, and the only way, you know, you can make yourself heard is to lower yourself in front of God so that God may have pity on you uh, and maybe make whatever you have put out, you know, um, uh, in its field of examination. And if it's so pleased, then, then your wish may be granted or, or not and so on. Um, and so um, once people go over, uh, uh, get over that initial fear that, oh, my God, I, I, I don't think I can do a prayer, to, oh, of course, of course, my ancestors have uh, the capacity to help me. And, of course, I can call on to Goddess Pele because I need her fire, you know, to get some work done. And, of course, you know, the spirit of the snake has always been with me. You know, from the time I was a child, you know, I always see this uh, snake everywhere. And sometimes that's the only friend I can actually talk to because there's no one else I can talk to. And that's the only thing that always shows up when there are difficulties in my life. Of course, you know, that big oak tree in the backyard was my place of comfort. I can call on to the spirit of the oak tree. Yeah, yeah, I feel close to that spirit. Once people really start to open up to that uh, uh, knowledge that they can reach out to those spirits, and of course those spirits have always been there for them, you know, all of a sudden it's like a light, light bulb turns on for them and they become someone who is completely different from this person who self-paralyzed, small, and unable to do anything uh, for themselves to powerful people who can invoke, and I mean tell you, invoke, do some serious invocation that, you know, you can really feel the vibration. You can feel, you know, the doors opening as they invoke and and that is really where the power comes when people can see that they are just as gifted as the preacher or you know the priest you know and that they can call on the spirit and that they can make things happen it's like wow what have i been missing all those years and yes and you're right you know it's not a practice that is common and it does take uh, doing some work to get over that initial fear of, oh, I don't know who I'm calling, I don't know what I'm opening, and I don't know if I'm uh, able to do this. Um, and um, if if people really open to this, you know, I guarantee you, you will never make another self-deceitful prayer ever in your life again because you know that what you are putting out there is not just for your own good, but it is the good of the entire world because we need strong, powerful, positive voices out to be able to make differences. We cannot continuously live small and pretend to be big. Sabanfu, someone's listening and they're thinking to themselves, okay, I want to do it. I want to invoke spirit in my life, whether that's an ancestor or the spirit of an element or the place where I live. Besides having this fierce, wholehearted intention, this clear call or cry, what else is needed? I mean, do I do I need to use any ritual objects? Do I need a shrine? Do I just have the cry of my heart? Do I have to ask for something specific? Just the basics here to get somebody started. Well, for a uh, basic invocation, you don't really need uh, anything except for your heart, really. Your heart and your intention, your clear intention, those are the two things that you really need. Um, uh, you, you you basically you know know what it is 
you really are praying for. You really uh, are clear about what you want to manifest. And you tune into your heart. You know, how would it feel, you know, to really be able to put this out? You know, would it, are you being honest to yourself when you're saying this, or are you just, you know, uh, pretending? Um, you know, if we're calling on to spirit, it's like calling on to a friend. So when you call on to a friend and you know you are desperate or you are excited and you need the help, you know, um, are you going to say, well, my dear friend, um, you, you, you see, the other day I was thinking, uh, oh, well, you know, I, I thought, you're not going to go around in a circle, you say, my dear, I am so excited about this thing. And I know that you are also going to be excited about it. And so I want you to come over and to see it for yourself. You know, you, you talk about it with excitement, you know, because you, you want them to see it. And you know that they're going to be excited when they come. And so really, it's a clear intention and your heart to speak, you know, from its death. Uh, it's, it's that, that's all that is needed. Nothing more than that. You know, you don't need to go collect any kind of ritual item, you know, because you're not diving into ritual yet, you know. And uh, uh, and again, some of the most powerful prayers I have ever heard have been prayers that people have spoken from their heart. Um, not pieces of papers that they have read, but that they have really tuned in. Tune into the spirit of the place. Tune into the spirit of the community that surrounds them. And to really let that prayer rip. Those have been some of the best prayers that I have heard. And they move you, whether you want to be moved or not. Now, we've already talked a little bit about what you see as the rituals that are really essential in life. And we've talked about these welcoming rituals. And I'm curious what else. Now, we don't have a lot of time, Sabanfu, so you're just going to have to give me maybe a couple of the highlights of the rituals that you think are essential for a life to be full and vital and awake. Wow. <laughs> there can be many, many different rituals. I mean, there are those um, uh, rituals that are just basic maintenance rituals that we need on a daily basis in order to be able to... Um, um, be well. So those are the rituals that we do on our own behalf um, by connecting with spirit, by connecting um, with um, our ancestors and uh, the spirit of the place. Um, something as simple as uh, every morning, you know, getting up and connecting with them and saying, hey, I'm alive and here's my mission for today. And I need your support, and I need you to show up when I tell you to show up because I need this to be able to uh, get the work done. Um, there are also, of course, um, you know, the naming rituals. There are um, uh, the um, uh, grieving rituals just to release uh, the everyday tension, um, whatever um, is uh, weighing us down uh, or clouding our ways uh, so that we can function. Um, there are, of course, um, you know, the blessings uh, ritual, you know, ritual to bless other people, but also ritual to bless ourselves because a lot of time, you know, we're looking for blessing outside when sometimes, you know, we need to bless ourselves because we know exactly what we need. Um, and, um, you know, ritual uh, to empower ourselves um, uh, because uh, every now and then everybody needs a battery, you know, uh, jump-started. Um, so those rituals are basically there to help us to get to the next level so that we can um, uh, feel well. And, um, um, you know... Um, Bonding rituals, um, bonding with, um, you know, certain uh, family members um, because we need those rituals uh, to uh, stay connected, to keep healthy relationship between us. Um, and in this um, very um, amazingly crazy world that we are in, 
um, sometimes we need letting go ritual, uh, ritual to let go of the past, ritual to let go of all uh, partners so that we can uh, start fresh, so that they're not becoming leeches, uh, invisible leeches in our lives. Um, so those are, you know, different rituals. You know, there's so many of them, you know, will be here till tomorrow. Um, but uh, that's, um, uh, in a nutshell, some of the rituals we really need uh, to be well. Besides having a sincere heart, which you've talked about, and a very, very clear intention, and invoking help from our ancestors and the spirit of place, are there any other ingredients that are mission critical to create a successful ritual? Oh, of course. Um, you know, there's the creation of the altar. Um, the altar is the gateway to the spirit world. And so, um, uh, again, um, the altar is a direct translation of the um, purpose of the ritual, just like the invocation um, um, helps open the space. Um, and um, um, depending on whether the ritual is um, individual or whether it is collective, um, so uh, if it is an individual ritual, then, of course, you need to be there. You cannot be absent at your own ritual. Um, and uh, if it is a collective ritual, then where is the community? Who is going to be a part of the community? And how are you going to get the community involved in the ritual? Um, and so on. And there is, of course, the, close, uh, the closure Um uh, any door you open, you have to also close. Um, so if you open um, um, a ritual, you have to also uh, find ways to close it. If not, you are still going to be in ritual space, and you may be there willingly or unwillingly, but the worst is if you are not even conscious of it. And then you will, you will be interacting with people, and you won't be in the same wavelength, and you will wonder what is going on. And so any ritual requires a proper closure. So by uh, thanking the spirit, by thanking the people who came, by thanking the spirit of the place, and uh, by asking permission to take the uh, altar down, if it is a temporary altar, those are some of the elements that bring a ritual to a closure because you cannot uh, open a ritual and not close it. Very helpful. Thank you. Sabanfu, when I was preparing for this conversation, I was reading various things that you've written, and there was one thing that really struck me, and I'm, I'm wondering if you can comment on it. And here's the quote. It says, In the Dagara tradition, where the wound is, is also where the gift is. Yes, um, it is... Um it is it is um, bizarre. Uh, some people come to me and they say, "What what what does that mean? You know, where the wound is is also where the gift is." Ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, we come into this world uh, and we bear a gift, but of course, before we even come here, we need to be reminded of why we are here. And so the kind of people that are going to be in our lives are not going to be a mistake. Yes, even your crazy family, they're not a mistake. You specifically chose them to play a certain kind of role in your life, including that first crazy partner that you ever dealt with. That partner was chosen so that you can remember the reason why you are here. And so... Uh, some of the interaction with some of those people are going to be, of course, very, very wounding. And that wound, when we take time to heal it, when we are able to uh, uh, go beyond the poisonous part of it, the poison that it holds, and I say it because a lot of us stay in the poison and we drink the poison and then, you know, we start to spiral down and down and we wonder what it is. The purpose for us is to use it like um, a homeopathic remedy. You take a little bit of a poison to heal yourself, but you don't drink the poison to kill yourself. And so you take the, uh, the wound and you work on it to heal it 
so that by the time the healing happens, you will begin to see why you had to go through that experience. And I'm sure a lot of people will agree with me that a lot of times some of our most challenging experiences have been some of our best gifts in life. And that's why in my tradition they say where the wound is is also where the gift is. But the key is to be able to work on the wound to transform it into a healing force so that we can bathe in it, so that we can now use that healing force to transform things, to change things. And that is one of the reasons why, you know, you will never see someone say, I have never really had any challenge in, you, in my life. If you didn't have challenge when you were being born because you were fortunate to have loving parents, you will go through some life challenges to help you remember why you are here. And that in itself um, deserves, you know, I have sorry to say that to people and people go never. But that in itself, you know, uh, is reason for us to go back to thank those people who have created the challenges for us because they have helped us to be able to embrace our mission or to get a bigger picture of our mission in life again. So... Uh, I really hope that you will take this as an invitation uh, to heal, to be able to go beyond um, the poison um, and to uh, allow yourself to go through the transformation that the healing requires so that you can be healthy with a bigger eye to see what the gift is within it. And Sabanfu, this is now a, a personal dimension to that question, if you're willing. I'm curious in your own life, if you've identified areas that, oh, this seemed like an area of wounding, and I came to recognize the gift in it. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, when I, uh, I first came here and my elders asked, well, you know, um, you will be working with couples and you know, I meet so many people, and they're going through divorce, and, you know, there's so much madness around, and I'm going, for heaven's sake, you know, what is all this about? Um, I, I have no idea that my own relationship would fall apart, um, so I can actually learn about the madness, so I can work with people. And, um, uh, of course, when it was happening, you know, I'm going, oh, no, 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 this is not happening. This cannot be happening. No, no, it has not happened. It's an illusion, right? Tomorrow I'm going to wake up and everything is going to be different. Oh, no, I wake up tomorrow and the reality is right there in front of me. And, and of course, you know, it was, you know, their biggest uh, wounding in my life. I, I mean, I have never been betrayed I have it, 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 like this before. And like a small betrayal, okay, you know, everybody gets that. But, you know, this was like, whoa, you know, like being blown into tens of thousands of pieces. And then, you know, you talk about forgiveness. Oh, for heaven's sake, you talk about wounding. No, we can't even address that because it was too big. Uh, but, you know, having to be able to look at the poison and to be able to take a sip, a tiny sip of the poison to allow myself to heal so that I can turn this wound into a gift um, has been one of the most amazing life-transforming gifts that I have ever had. But I have to tell you, when I was in the thick of it, I hated every single person, including my elders back in Africa. I mean, um, I said a few words that were not nice that I had to go back and say, I apologize that my wound was so big that I came senseless in my wording. And so I want to apologize for those uh, words that I have put out, and I want to say that I appreciate the gifts that I have received in the process. And I have even thanked my partner for the wounding because if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be who I am today. And that is the best gift I have gotten in my life. So just to be specific, what was the poison, do you think, in the situation? And then what is the gift that came from the divorce for you? Well, the poison for me was the feeling of being um, 
uh, let down and the and the anger um, and the hatred. You know, I mean, the anger and the hatred. You know, had some kind of love relationship there. You know, they came together, um, and then realizing, you know, that the real poison was that. You know, I was allowing myself. You know, to basically um, wallow in the poison um, and and not do the work uh, to heal. And and how I became toxic, you know, all my thoughts um, were toxic, um, and that I couldn't find anything positive in this experience. I mean, it was like, wow, that's like the biggest shame. Oh, for heaven's sake, you know, um, how can I ever lift my head up, you know? And and so the poison had like um, uh, waves and arms and you know, tentacles that basically went everywhere and poisoned other people um, as well because of the way I was sharing, you know, um, how I felt uh, until the day, you know, I really um, saw that, oh, my God, you know, uh, I need to actually begin to take responsibility. Um, I believe that I have played a big role in the other world in this, and I need to begin to say, oh, I am responsible for this as well. Um, and it was that day that thing really began to change for me. And um, when I basically uh, started the journey to heal, you know, I realized that there was a part of me that was a in prison. I I I couldn't I couldn't be as big as I wanted, and so freedom, you know, was one of the things that I experienced, um, and um, and also realizing also that you know being in a relationship, and for those people who do not know, I came, you know, not speaking English, so I have been dependent, you know, on my husband for so many years. And I didn't know how much dependent that I was until, you know, he left. Um, and, and realizing that, you know, I, 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 I mean, I'm a strong woman and I, I like being independent. Um, and, and also realizing that, you know, um, I, can, I can understand, you know, where people come from when they come in Greece because their, their life has fallen apart because their relationship did not work out. I, I I cannot understand, you know, the pains that they go through they, and, and where the poison is and to be able to work with them because, um, you know, it's like helping someone sw- uh, swim. You know, if you don't know how to help them, you know, maneuver, you know, while they're drowning, you, you both be sucked down. But if you have actually, you know, worked um, quite a bit with it, you know how to work with them so that they don't drown both of you. Um, and that's where the gift is for me, to be able to have a different insight. Um, and that when someone comes and tells you a story, it's only a grain of sand in the sea of sand. It's not everything. Um, and so uh, that that's where I have gratitude for what I have learned in the process. And was there a ritual, Sabanfu, that helped you let go of the poison? I did a lot of grazing ritual, and lots and lots of grazing ritual. And, uh, and I think the part that was even more powerful was the part when I went back home and to realize that there was a piece that I could not unhook myself. And because my village uh, has been so instrumental in my relationship, and, you know, um, the impact it has on them and my failure, uh, my failed relationship, um, what it also, um, um, what kind of impact it will have on them. And when I walk into that village and I saw those people running to me in tears because a part of their life has also uh, changed, it's, it's like a magical thread came, and I could let go of so many things. I had a welcoming ritual, 
And also I had a letting go ritual, letting go of expectation, letting go of the things that did not work out in the relationship, and reclaiming myself. Oh, yes, reclaiming myself. That that was um, powerful to be able to reclaim the bits and the different pieces of who I am so that I can be completely well and um, and to be, again, a balanced person. I think that that was positive. Um, and I have to admit also, I did have a divorce party, um, and it felt very liberating. Mm-hmm. Sabanfu, it's been so wonderful to talk to you and uh, so empowering, and I'm so impressed by the honesty and the transparency in which you've shared. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's always wonderful to work with you. I've been speaking with Sabanfu Some. She created a six-session audio learning series with Sounds True called Women's Wisdom from the Heart of Africa. And it includes quite a bit of teaching about ritual and also women's empowerment and the life cycle and many, many, many different teachings of Dagara wisdom. Sabanfu, thank you again. Really much love to you. Thank you. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.